Welcome to the Art of the Party podcast. My name is Jeff Osuji, co-founder and CEO of Event War. And we're excited. We have an extremely legendary, legendary episode today uh, with the lifestyle specialist himself, uh, brand ambassador, entrepreneur, all-around legend and party starter, a host, Mr. Kenny Burns. How you doing today? Thank you, Jeff. I like that hey, intro. It's a pleasure. You're going to roll with me. You know what? We're trying to, brother. We're trying <laughs> to, man. It's a pleasure, man. Thanks. It's great to finally have you here. You're somebody we've wanted to talk to for some time. Thank you. Um, and somebody we talk about the event war brand and people who move people. You're definitely one of those people that we think I of. So you, I take pride in it. Appreciate it. So when do we start? Where do we start? Uh, Kenny Burns, originally from the DMV. Yeah, from D.C. Okay. Before the DMV was created. Actually, part of the reason the DMV was created, because Wale was the first act that I signed from D.C., and he was from Largo, Maryland. And if anybody knows anything about Washington, D.C., we don't play about Maryland or Virginia. If you're from D.C., you can't be from Maryland or Virginia. So when all this was going on, I was trying to unify the city because all the, you know, the legends and... Because we haven't had a lot of rappers, but the mm-hmm. legends who were rapping, Power 3, yeah. um, you know, uh, we had the Oi Boys. We had, you know, different things in the city that was doing their thing, but just hadn't got over the hump. So when I brought Wale into the fall, DC really wasn't having mm. it at first. I got to take like, step. But I was like, well, you know what I'm saying? He, he good. I said, matter of <laughs> fact, if we had DC, Maryland, Virginia, DMV, we could have a bigger audience have a bigger movement, and that's how. I got. I, I got to stop you there because we got. A, we got a special place in our heart for Wale. Yeah. As you know, I tell tell you, I'm, I'm Nigerian. We were talking earlier, and uh, he was one of the first folks and rapper's that we were able to see that when the, when the trend started happening from us being booty scratchers to being cool. Yeah. Wale was one of the people that really ushered that in. So no, that's huge. He's one of my favorite rappers of all time. Yeah. Um, obviously, it was a blessing to work with him and put DMV on the map. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, Wale is one of the best rappers of all time, you know what I mean? And what he did for the region and how we opened it up for artists to seek their dreams and pursue their goals, man, was unbelievable. Nike boots, man, still still a smash. So many classes from Wale, so. All that KD, what up? You know what I'm saying? 4-3, Studio 43, so big shout out to everybody that was involved. Man, that's what's up. So DMV, you put on there for, for quite some time, originated. Uh, of course, you moved around the entire country, um, yeah. hosting some of the most amazing events. But how did you get your start in the entertainment industry, uh, and then moving around nationally? Yeah, man. So uh, '91, I got locked up my senior year of high school, and uh, my cousin went on to Moore House. Okay. And uh, while I was on paper trying to figure my life out, he was talking about this freak nick that was going to be happening um, in the spring of '92, and. Uh, <laughs> In Atlanta, I'm like, what the fuck is the freak name? Yeah. He's stories. like, man, uh, biggest, blackest college reunion ever. And I'm like, okay, say less. So I, I got it okay by my PO and, and got down to uh, Atlanta and it changed my life. You know, at that time, it went on social media and none of that. So, you know, to see anything black and excellent, you were watching the Cosby show Dang. or a different world. You know what I mean? And then obviously, you had your superheroes that were athletes and. And, and uh, entertainers, but you know, for me coming to Atlanta, I saw so many black people from all over the country like me. I was like, What? Yeah, wait. And then, of course, because of no social media, it had to be word of mouth. So, to be actually something or a legend or you know, what I mean, popping people had to talk about you. So, by the time Man. I came to Atlanta, my cousin set me up like I was Scarface. I love it. So, as soon as I touched base on the campus, you know, people already knew who I was. 
I said, I'm coming back in August. After the funeral, I'm coming back in August. I'm going to throw parties. I'm going to be the man. Came back and did exactly that. Man. So that was 1992. That's crazy. I mean, I've heard so many crazy, amazing stories about the free Nick. Yeah. Event why we're all about dope events that change people's lives and just dope experiences. Yeah. And so that's what I love about the program. Event Noir is, you know, not just promoting events, it's an actual community where people come and find out things about things. hundred percent, man. We we like to say we're what kind of Mesa Mesa event brightest splash that, you know, but it's all, for us it's all about putting people in places where we can be us, where yeah. we can be celebrated. So yeah. I love it. Um, so I heard about a lot about the Freak Nick. For us, my version of it was, was Atlanta Greek Picnic. And since we're in Atlanta, I got to shout out to AGP because when we started going down here, it's actually how I met my wife, but uh, it was just amazing. Turned up. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. So, so you went down to Morehouse, which for a lot of folks, um, shout out to Howard as well, but a lot of folks in Atlanta, that Mecca for HBCUs. How did that change your life, that college experience? Um, it showed me what I could be. You know, I wasn't going to stay in school. I was waiting for the right thing. I enrolled in Morris Brown. You know, attempted to play basketball again because I was a basketball star in D.C. And, um, you know, when I got locked up, I lost any opportunity to the scholarships or conversation that were being had. So then, you know, go to Atlanta, going to school. You know, I'm trying to hoop, but really wasn't connecting. But the party thing was starting to look way enticing. And I was like, I might be a promoter then. Mm-hmm. Puff came to Howard University when I was in high school, and I saw it because I was in the streets early. So I saw like the opera and the thing, Chicago's that Steve Solomon and Garrett did were doing. I was like, damn, this shit is interesting, you know. Yeah. And then I found out how much money they were making. Mm-hmm. So being a street guy, used to a certain amount of liquidity, yeah. <laughs> you know, what I'm talking about like I was like, damn, and it's cash, you know what I mean? So as Chris Cross sold four million records, the face planted the. So, you know, planted their flag in the soul and AT, all this music started happening. Mm-hmm. And when I first came, you know, I'm like, let me do the parties. Yeah. So by the time, you know, 93 came, we, we owned the AUC. 2620 was the biggest promotion company in, I want to say, the country. Black colleges was the biggest cluster of historically black college universities. Okay. And again, back then there was no social media. So you had to have speaker boxes. We had four historically black College that were thriving. This was before Morris Brown was defunct. So mm-hmm. everybody, you know what I mean? And it's the, the the biggest thing going. Yeah. And, and I'll never forget, man, you know, by the time, you know, it came for Big Biggie and Craig Mac, they had the Big Mac promo. They came to our club. Nice. Jay-Z wanted to come here and he had a song called 22 Twos. Yeah. You know what I mean? We brought him here to Kai. Like, so we were like, you know, we had the chronic tour. Mm. Like before, you know, when Snoop got locked up, it ended up getting canceled. But we literally had all of that. In I'm talking, talking about Morris Brown, yeah. Morehouse, Clark Atlanta, yeah. Spelman all in one spot. Yeah. Uh. No, and then you got to think about Georgia Tech. Yeah. You got to think about, you know, uh, Georgia State. Yeah. You got to think about Emory. You yeah. got to think about, like, that time, bro. Man. It was an unbelievable era. And to be honest with you, man, you know, you asked how it affected me. It not only showed me something different, but it showed me I could do something different. When you come from a place, you know what I mean, that is, you know, um, unforgiving, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Definitely not in support of progression outside of what they know. You know, Go-Go yeah. was my music. Nice. Before hip-hop, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I grew up listening to Go-Go. Yeah. So, you know, it was just a pleasant experience other things. That's deep because I actually got my start into events during college, uh, just being in a fraternity. 
um, and just starting to host events for the chapter and I figured out how much money we was making. I'm like, oh no, there's something, there's something to this. Yeah. So in college, you made your name, you talked a lot about, you know, before social media, uh, which is the times where you had to have the flyers, you had to really have a presence. You had, yeah, you had to have some type of like real personality back in the day. I want to talk to you about that because as a host, you're on stages around the world yeah. hosting events, right? And I'll, I'll say you have a true presence both in person and on social media. I run into so many people who you see on social media, right? And they have a strong presence and you meet them in person. And it's like, is this even a real person? They, right. They're super shy. I uh, don't have much to talk about. So can you talk about your ability to connect with people, right, and how you leverage that and turn it into a successful business? Yeah, absolutely. And I credit that to my, you know, era of, like, figuring out what my profession would be. You know, when I was throwing parties, that was a people-person thing. It was a hand-to-hand -hand thing. There was no push of a button and reach 300,000 people, mm -hmm. maybe, whatever. Flyers. You know what I mean? I had to literally pass out flyers, convince them that I was the guy and my crew was the crew that they wanted to be around, that they wanted to, you know what I'm saying, have a good time with. And to be honest with you, women were the best promotion ever. Always. You know what I mean? And I think people don't adhere to them as much as they, because like even now when you look in the clubs and you look at all the tentacles that come from the hookahs mm -hmm. and you look at all the things that going, that ain't nothing sexy. Mm -hmm. It's nothing sexy about that. It's nothing mm -hmm. sexy about 40 motherfuckers <laughs> in a booth with 42 tentacles. Man. You know what I'm talking about? 800 tips and just trash everywhere. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm talking about? Yeah. Women getting burnt on their ass with coals. <laughs> it's disgusting. So I'm saying all that to say, I literally learned the art of people because I had to talk to them. Now, I don't even think people communicate all nah. like that. Like, I had to go up to a person like, yo, we doing... This artist named Biggie at the warehouse. He a new act. Yeah. Craig Mack gonna be with him. He yeah. got the flavor in your ear song. Trust me, it's gonna be all that. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. Think about that, what I just said. I just said I'm I'm convincing somebody to come see a new artist yeah. that happened to be one of the biggest artists ever in the yeah. history of rap. Yeah. So it's just, you know, I think now hosts in general don't have the, you know, one-on-one -on -one kind of superpower. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? I think that you got to be able to engage people and understand people. Now you go in the clubs, yo, my name is da 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 da, -da. Mm -hmm. I, You got to come see me. Mm -hmm. They don't move in the city. It ain't no motion. <laughs> if I ain't, I don't even say my name when I host. Yeah. To yeah. this day. Yeah. The only time I ever say my name is at an arena because there's new people I never met. Yeah. So introductory-wise, but I don't go all night. Yeah, I'm the lifestyle specialist. You need to know me. I got a Louis Vuitton from woo-woo-woo. I want to I want to jump on that actually because that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Like I feel like since the club, any parties started when I've been going what 15, 20 years ago, everything's changed, right? You have the introduction of bottle service, you have less engagement. I was at a gala just a couple of weeks ago, and the ladies like the guys ain't talking to nobody. Right. Speak to me about one the change that you saw and what you feel like contributed to that because I think social media is huge. But what's the hope now? to get the fun back into the parties? Well, I think, you know, there's a couple of things. There are a couple of dynamics. And, and I want you to add on to that is, how do you feel about bottle service as an experience? Well, I think customer service is a lost art, period. Okay. Um, I think the entitlement in relationships is fucking the game up. I'm supposed to have this because I'm this. Or mm -hmm. I know this person, so I'm supposed to have what that person has. Like, I think the entitlement thing is just crazy. But you said a couple of dynamic things. I think... First and foremost, like, the art of the party has to come back, you know. And the fact that the mega clubs are gone, 
and it's more like boutique experiences, I think it's coming back. If you look at like here in Atlanta, they have a thing called Bomba Tuesdays where they only play, you know, Afro beats and and then they have house nights. You ain't, when last time you heard a house party? You from Chicago? Yeah. When yeah, last time you heard of a house party where they play all house? All time. They got all R and B parties. You know what I mean? They have different things. Yeah, a million R and B parties right now. Yeah, that's, it's, I appreciate though. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's like how many times? You, yeah, you yeah. Can we talk? Yeah, what, yeah. What, you know what I'm saying? I want to hear it again. But I, I feel them and I yeah. feel the energy that it brings because yeah. I'd rather have love involved in the mix so the exactly. women will be exactly. excited and thinking about things outside. Like when I see a woman know every dirt line in the song, it bothers me. When I see yeah. a woman, you know what I'm saying, Seeing fighting rough. like they niggas, like it bothers me. You know I what I mean? But, but it's the music. Like if you listen to motherfucker kill, oh shit, Man. I'm gonna blow the ops in the mother, ah! Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. So, but I think you need to one, figure out how you can take people on a musical journey. Two, hire hosts that make it about the people and not themselves. And then give people something they don't have. When I was in the clubs, I would do anything to separate. I was probably the first person in the world to play Elvis Crespo Suavemente. I'm talking about over a decade ago. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was probably the first person in the middle of the, I'm talking about Atlanta GZ mm -hmm. era, tip era, to play fist pump. In, in, in a black club. I'm talking about at prime time. I'm probably the first promoter in the world who ever plays slow songs in the turn of hour. I'm talking about in a, you know what I'm saying? So I think if you can get creative, if you can bring people to the table that think outside the box, don't make it about them, you have a more pleasurable experience. Man, so I'm I'm one of those people I talk about all the time with my guys about how the music has changed. And I, I love the music, I love the drill. When I'm in the gym, that's what I need to listen to. Drill. I love drill in the gym. Yourself. In the gym. <laughs> right? Now, in the, club, <laughs> saying, in, the, in the gym, drill, I, I need my drill, right? I need my, my dark. I need those other guys. Well, you're from Chicago. It's yeah. political, right? But when I'm in the club, I want to see ladies dance. And I want to see people having a good time and interacting. Yeah. And I just can't speak enough to the fact that we need to challenge everybody, promoters, DJs, anybody that's at an event, to play some music that people dance to. And I love the, the Afro beat that's, that's coming up, the Mappiano. I love the house, but we need to get back to dancing and have a good time. Yeah. I think it's changed, changed the culture and changed the fun people are having. For sure. Brings you to my next question. And actually, I don't want to stop you with your story. So in terms of, yo, you were at college, right? You were hosting events. Um, what was that first party you had where you felt like, we doing it now? Um, first party that I felt like I was doing it? Um... Actually, my very first party, there was a club called The Phoenix that ended up becoming the warehouse where we made our legend. But I had literally told you I came to Atlanta with an idea to take over. I mean, I was playing ball, but I was going to take over the party. Yeah. So on the same block as The Phoenix at the time, there was a car wash owned, car wash and loft owned by these guys, these guys from Oakland, California. I forgot their names. I uh, knew they were from California, though, because I used to go to car wash all the time. So I was like, let me rent the loft space for a little party. Yeah. And so, mind you, the hype, my hype had started that Freaknik 92, fall 92, I'm like doing this first party. So I'm like, I'm telling people, I'm gonna do parties, I'm gonna do parties, I'm gonna do parties. Had the best crew, all my crew had all the girls, like, you know the thing. And through this party, Jeff, and the lights didn't work, right? So mm. people upstairs, we can't plug up. So it was like a thousand people outside trying to get wow. in this party. So we ended up taking the movement and the motion outside onto the block. Oh, wow. It made a block party. So imagine a party that holds maybe 600 people turn into like 3,000 people. Oh, wow. And then I was like, we got something, y'all. Like, uh -huh. 
this ain't no regular degla. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And then we did a couple parties at the Phoenix. Um, and come January, they were changing the name. They asked us, did we want a night? And the Funk Clinic Friday started. Okay. And that was just unbelie- an unbelievable run. Okay. One of the biggest ever in party culture. So you started off hosting amazing events. And, you know, you've had some amazing brand partnerships. I think everybody that hosts events wants to get... I mean, you've worked with Ciroc, um, currently worked with Uncle Nearest, I believe. I'm an owner of um, Uncle Nearest. Owner of Uncle Nearest. Yeah. Um, we, don't, we don't do brand ambassadors. I love it. Over here. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, but, but throughout the course of you, you know, your journey, you've worked with a number of brands. Yeah. How did you excel from just putting together dope experience of people to building the, the business mogul um, and empire that you have right now? Yeah, anything you do, you should try, you know, to grow from it, right? Any, right. any you know, business that you enter into, any relationship that you into it you should always try and grow and elevate that relationship. And as I was in the party culture and saw it, you know, and saw how originally there was no ROI on people like myself. Yeah. Although I could bring 4,000, 5,000 people to a venue, I can get on a mic before swag surf and make everybody go crazy. Yeah. Yes, before swag surf <laughs> was popping. Um, you know, but you see the, the business model, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, eventually I didn't want to be a promoter anymore. I didn't want to be, you know, held to whether it snows or rains or anything yeah. to mess up my money. So I went from throwing parties to getting paid to show up. Yeah. But when I started getting paid to show up, I was seeing how the liquor companies were hiring these people in certain markets to do certain things. And then one day I was at a club called Love in D.C. Oh, man, that's a legendary yeah. club right there. Yeah. Shout out so, to Mark Barnes. Yeah, shout out to Mark Barnes, my big brother. Um, and I heard that he had a problem with... I'm sorry, he didn't have a problem. Moet Hennessy had a problem in Atlanta mm-hmm. with Alex Girwan mm-hmm. and the Girwan brothers. Now, mind you, Alex and I started throwing parties together. My 2620 crew, we were introduced by this guy by the name of Steve Solomon, so we kind of got together. But mm-hmm. Steve was getting so much money fucking with us and not being here, I was like, Steve can't get no more money. <laughs> I was like, so Alex, it's me and you. Mm-hmm. Dude offered me the club, what's up? So he, he sided, you know, not mm-hmm. didn't side, we still partners, but he said, I'm gonna I'm a roll with Steve. I'm like, cool. Mm-hmm. So we went on a run. Mm-hmm. But when I got into the music business and, you know, started moving around the country, came back, Alex was the party guy by mm-hmm. himself. He started mm-hmm. doing Land Live, all the stuff. So long story short, fast forward to I heard he had a problem with Alex, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the Moe Hennessy guy. And as I'm listening, I'm trying, I'm always trying to figure out how I can plug, you know what I'm saying, something and get a piece. Mm-hmm. So I'm like ear hustling, and all of a sudden he's like, yeah, man, let's get one. But I said, I can help you. Mm-hmm. So What's the problem? Okay. So he told me what the problem was. I called Alex, fixed the deal, and he said he owed me a favor. Nice. Right? Mm-hmm. Same time, Alex and I were getting back because I was leaving New York, coming back to Atlanta. Okay. And that's when the world famous compound run started. Okay. So all this is happening at the same time. So long story short, I ended up getting a $200,000 party at the Versace Mansion for my 35th birthday. Nice. Paid. In Miami? In Miami. Nice. Yeah. And back then it was on social media, so you had to be in. People magazine or magazines to get impressions for them to count. And they're trying to prove how someone like me could do that. Mm-hmm. So that's the start of all ambassador lifestyle. How did you even pull it off? How'd you get the Versace mansion? Because that was the favor for hooking them back. Oh, Allison nice. was one of the biggest accounts in the Southeast for him. Nice. And so because of that connection, they were like, what you want to do? I was like, I want my birthday party. Nice. So it started at $75,000 commitment, ended up being 200 because they just kept saying yes. Nice. And so we had a full, and this was the party of parties. Yeah. So I was nice. on top of that, you can go to the bar, get you Don Perry on whatever you drink. Nice. We had Barton G care, you know, cater with the big 
you know, we had the prawns around the thing. You could dip, I mean, it was I had gold people, mm -hmm. Maria Antoinette, <laughs> big booth. You know, I don't know if you remember that. You know, but nice. it was unbelievable. Okay. But anyway, that started the whole lifestyle specialist movement, in which became ambassador programs that people have been from benefiting from today. So you saw an opportunity to help somebody, and you did. And my business partner tells me all the time, business is about small favors, Period. right? So you saw an opportunity to help somebody, you did it. Right, and with the expectation, yeah, it might something might come back, but it might not. But at the yeah. same time, that's what's what's the key, what's important. I want to emphasize. Well, another key to that is mm -hmm. that yes, I led with the favor and to help somebody. Yep. Knew I had a favor. I could have I could have got paid on that. Yep. And I ended up getting paid from Alex after that because any deal I brought, I got thirty percent of. Mm -hmm. But the key in that relation was to start the conversation, and that's mm -hmm. what I don't think a lot of people get. A lot of people are so money hungry, thinking yeah. it's a check. Before. Well, a lot of times you got to get in the door. Yeah. You got the greatest ideas on the planet. You could be the best human on the planet, but nobody knows it's even not in front of people to show those skills. 100%. And I think that's what people often, you know, get wrong. I love it. And can you speak about when you do business and, and, and building relationships? Uh, one person that's amazing is who's connected to us, John Monopoly. And I had to ask him the other day, like, how do you make sure you do business that doesn't come off as transactional, understanding that there's value in what you're, you're providing? So I had to ask you the same question. When you're cutting these business deals, you're working with different brands, you're clearly adding value in any situation that you're in. How do you ensure that it's not a transactional relationship? And also, how do you still help people and understand that you may be, you know, how do you make sure that you benefit from that? Well, I think transactional is, you know, it doesn't have to be monetarily, mm -hmm. you know, transactional. Yeah. You can have interaction where something comes from it, and that's a transaction. Okay. So I, I, I think everything should be transactional. And I think it should be transferable. Energy, you know, relationships, okay. you know, you have to start somewhere. And I want to encourage people to hear the words that are coming out of my mouth because it doesn't just start immediately. Yeah. You know, you have to earn one respect from people, right? Yeah. So people can say that you're an authority or, uh, you know, in something or look yeah. to you to be an authority. But you also have to do something. Yeah. All you motherfuckers out there that <laughs> think that you just got X, Y, and Z and you own. No. You know, I had a conversation yesterday where... The guy, you know, and this is what black men do. Mm -hmm. We come with the bravado. We come mm -hmm. with the, we, I do this, and I'm, why, what? Yeah. Because that's what we're taught to do. Need to validate ourselves. But every, yes, but everything is in the, you know, the proof is in the pudding. You have to show how and why. Not just talk about it. You know, and that's one thing I learned very early. I'd rather connect the dots with the, you know, more at Hennessy, one of the biggest spirit companies in the world, in a major account, than to say I'm coming and I want 100000 I done fucked myself out the game. Mm -hmm. I had to get a $200,000 party, then probably made another $500,000, $600,000 just on opportunities that avail themselves. And to be honest with you, half the time, it's not worth the money. It's worth the relationship. The money is fleeting. The money comes and goes. I love that. And I think that's you know one of the main characteristics that I had even not having, right? So now that I do have, and I have a footprint, and I have created influencer programs that all spirit companies use. I've created opportunities for mic men, where back in the day you had to be a DJ, you know what I'm saying, to talk on somebody mic. There weren't no mic men, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. not, not credited culturally, you yeah. know what I mean? You had Busy B, and then there was Kenny Burns. Busy B is from the 80s. Oh, wow. Kenny Burns is the 90s till today. Yeah. People still reference me as this party starter. So, you know, but I think once you earn your stripes, once you show people what you do, it's, it's obvious. Yeah. You know, and you don't have to oversell yourself. That's the, that's the problem with this generation. Everybody wants to be somebody and they want to be famous and got to have this, that, and the third, and none of that shit mean nothing. Because yeah. there's a new motherfucker every day. Substance. The key and the goal is to be 50 years old like me and still fresh, fly, 
but on my terms. See, you niggas gotta understand freedom. <laughs> I love you it. understand the value of freedom. Yeah. But you understand the here and now. You want, you know what I'm saying, throw all your shit out there. No cards to keep for yourself. You wanna put everything out there so people can judge you for exactly who you are, because this is who you're portraying to be. They don't know you. Face value is everything. Yeah. yeah. I show up how I wanna be perceived. I love it. But these motherfuckers throwing away the money. Stop throwing away the money. I'm trying to give you free game. I love it. I love it. And longevity is key, right? No, but they don't even understand the... That's what I'm saying. They don't even understand. You got to be in the game to play. Mm -hmm. Why somebody need you, Jeff? No, tell them, ask Because you added value. No, why does somebody need you? Couple things. Um, I can help you make more money for your events with a Venoir. Um, I have a network that I can leverage to... Uh, it's none of that. You want to fuck with you? Because I'm me. But no, because you can put people together. The value mm -hmm. in that is unsurmountable. And yeah. you're patient enough to identify stars and identify things that make sense for the things you want to do. I tell people all the time, you want to tie your legacy up into what? Your dreams or you want to be open to receive? Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't get no real money until I invested in Uncle Nears. Mm -hmm. I mean, I made millions of dollars. I'm talking about generational money. That's huge. No, it's unbelievable because yeah. to that point, I thought my ideas would make me the money. Yeah. No, it was somebody else's idea. Yeah. One thing I tell some of my employees, some of my mentees, is you can't really make money until you make somebody else money. Period. All right. But money is, and that's all the things I, I'm so glad we're having this conversation. That's another thing I want to stress to these youngers. Money is fleeting. Yeah. Money is, it comes and goes. Your relationships, who you are and what you mean to people is way more valuable than money. And you can stand on that. Yeah. You can't stand on a pile of money. Yeah. No, and I'm talking about literally money, yeah. unless it's some billions and it's hard and it's, mm -hmm. it's ran rap and it's on the pallet. Yeah. But get what I'm saying. Like, you yeah. can't stand on money. That don't make you know. I would fuck you up fashion wise mm -hmm. and fucking J. Crew, nigga. Mm -hmm. You can put every designer you want. I will come lift that motherfucking thing. I will put that pants <laughs> leg up, nigga, with that beard, nigga, <laughs> and fuck you up. You think you dressing? So I'm just saying, people look at, I'm going to come outside. I yeah. got that shit on. Yeah. Now I'm saying all that in the Supreme. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about to say you fly but, there but right now. But this is a motherfucker. <laughs> no, but, but it's real. You see the little time I'm printing my sweatpants. Yeah. All I'm saying, yeah. I'm just a fly nigga. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel it. I feel and it. I'm old. And, and the substance is still the most important thing. And, and at the end of the day, now that still means shit. If you're not somebody with substance. Period. Yeah. No, but that's really. the point of saying I fuck you up with J. Crew. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to see that. I love it. I love it, man. So, okay, I got to ask you something. I ask everybody that comes on our podcast moving forward. Um, man, what's the ingredients of a dope-ass party? The major key factor to any party is the temperament of the women. If they come to play, mm -hmm. it's the best night you ever had. 100%. And they have to feel comfortable enough to do that. Mm -hmm. So you got to have people in pocket from your security to your waist staff to the host to the DJs that play for them. Brothers, man, we going to get our feel if they happy. Mm -hmm. We going to literally get our feel if they happy. Yeah. So we cannot be in the mindset of like, I'm going to get two hookahs mm -hmm. for 39 people. <laughs> and two bottles. And two bottles. <laughs> and we going to drink all the chasers and the thing, you know what I mean? We need yeah. actual motion. Motion is women moving, carefree, not worried about the ass grabs and all the bamming shit these motherfuckers <laughs> doing. They want to be free. Yeah. If you let a woman, this is anybody in relationship, if you let a woman be free, she will commit. Mm 
This crossed the board. I don't want nobody to let that go over their head. Mm -hmm. If you let her be free, she will commit. So imagine the party if a woman's free yeah. and she commits to the moment and have a good time. Yeah. I'm going to be out of care. Ladies dancing, first. Ladies first. Doing some other shit. Ladies first. Right, I'm going to try whatever she like. Yeah. I mean, I'm me. I've been yeah. there 24 years. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. That makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I just want to take it back to bottle service. So, that brings me to my next question: bottle service. Do you feel like it's ruined the club or made the club better? And I might ask you a little bit something like that, but I think people have different views. But I, I want to know your your perspective on that. Um, I love the idea of bottle service. Um, I think that you know. You want to have a good time. You don't want to keep having interruptions. Bottle service is great. You know what I mean? You can fulfill whatever need, you know, um, without having too many interruptions. When I, when I started the whole booth culture, and I, I don't want to say I started bottle service. I think Alex popularized booths mm -hmm. and bottle service. Um, but it was a function to that. We got a bunch of people. We bought a bunch of liquor. Now, Atlanta ain't no, no pump when it comes to that. Like we was buying hundred bottles mm -hmm. type shit. Like yeah. so, if it was a hundred motherfuckers in two booths, it spread across, and then we was giving bottles out. Yeah, but I think that it was definitely a need for it because it helped business. Obviously, if yeah. you if you're an investor or if you're yeah. involved in spirits in any kind of way, um, yeah. So I, I I liked it when it was. Yeah, I liked it when I was in it. When it wasn't the only option. This is my thing is that. I remember I started right clubbing right at the time before bottle service was introduced, and I still remember the best times I ever had was going to the bar, dancing, going to the bar yeah. before the clubs got. Well, I think there was a process though, but I think the comfortability of booths, you know, the 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 perch kind of ICU, you know, vibe. You can't get a dance nowadays. I feel like you can't get a dance if you don't. Yeah, have but a I don't think you really want to dance. I think, <laughs> I think you you know you have an idea of like, and we all do to be quite honest, you know. There were times where we going to clubs to dance and sweat, yep. you know what I mean? But if you're putting on certain things, I know there's certain jackets I'm not sweating out. Of course. I know, And I'm talking about even if I'm performing, so I'm coming with that thing under so I can take that off. You know, two-stepping two is cool sometimes when you're trying to yeah. you know, just catch a vibe, but then there's other times you're going to bust a move. Man, I miss the dancing days, man. I miss when ladies dance. I miss when we can go get a number. I miss when we can just ask for a dance and actually get a dance and talk in the club. I gotta figure out how to bring that back. And I think the army parties are helping. You got a wife? I, I, I got a wife. I've been married five years. Five years. I remember, I like watching it. I like people, enjoying people having a good time. Clean that up. I tell all the time, for me, my past time, the best thing in the world is to host something and let people kind of get it. I mean, you know, people got married at your events that you've had, right? Bro, listen, people. that is, to be honest with you, I have kids' names after <laughs> See? Yeah. That's crazy. No bullshit. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, like, and for me, <laughs> To make people have a good time, to remember that moment, to remember where they were, who they were partying with, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To this day, this is to show you how good of a promotion company we have in 2020. To this day, I'll go into the airport. 2620. Now mind you, motherfuckers all 45 and mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. 2620. Mm -hmm. You know how many generations I've touched since yep. the generation I started? My lives you changed. But it's crazy. So, you know, I walked into a thing the other day, um, Forks and Flavors in Stonecrest or something the other mm -hmm. day. And the dude DJ, I had an LS cream, my, my, my cream liqueur, they had a tasting. So mm -hmm. I just came, you know, I tried to pop up, you know. Mm -hmm. The dude on the mic, 26, two, I'm like, what the? <laughs> like, you know, but he's been around yep. in Atlanta. Yep. So I love that though. That, that, that fills my cup. 
it makes you timeless. I mean, you can't, the experiences you give people last forever. And that's what a lot of people feel. And that's why I, I, we love experiences and talking about them. Sure. Well, I got two more questions for you, man. I appreciate you sitting down sharing a lot of this perspective. This is how we get the free game back. I'm telling you, man. So you you got involved. You said you made uh, a lot of your money with, with Uncle Nearest, a black-owned brand. Um, and even when we talked about, um, you know, connected in, in this podcast, et cetera, I love the energy you have. Like, the black-owned, let's, let's talk. So why is it important for you? As a lifestyle specialist, has worked with so many brands um, that aren't necessarily black-owned, but so many celebrities, right? Why is it important for you at this point in your career to support black-owned brands? Well, I was the guy that had all the talent in the world, but no support. I was the guy that had, you know, all the ideas for business and had no support. And I made it a mark, you know, to not only, you know, support and help mm -hmm. brands and companies grow, but invest in them, you know. Um, my LS Cream Liqueur, you know, um, investment, you know, $75,000 I invested in these people without even meeting them in person. I got the product, tasted the product, saw that they were a black couple from Haiti, you know, obviously from Montreal by way of Haiti, mm -hmm. and fell in love just with the, you know, move to their mother's house to create this, you know, this amazing liqueur, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the strength of the Haitian community in general. Like, you know, yeah. I, I have respect for culture. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I invested in it and never met in my life. You you would okay. never think that, okay. like, I would have to meet you, but I, yeah. it was pandemic time and I was just like, no, I want to help. I want to help. They clearly, you know, whatever. In, in 18 months, we had a $12 million valuation. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, man, it's about, for me, it's about seeing people, yeah. seeing their superpowers and helping them develop them if they don't know quite what to do with them. And that's my total purpose. Um, the reason why, you know, I think we connected was because I, I saw a void, um, did my research on who y'all were. Cause I have a very, very um, strong hold in Chicago. Met my wife. I said, I know Kenny said he was straight at first. You're like, I'm good. So y'all know. So yeah. say, he ain't talking, he don't mess with everything. And no, I appreciate that about you. You shouldn't, right? You yeah. should mess with things you believe in yeah. that you really want to champion. I, um, but you know, um, that's what life's about, man. If you don't have purpose tied to your process, yeah. you're not really getting any traction. That's real. That's real. And I, I, I've learned a couple of things just speaking with you today, and I, I peeped it when I, we first talked. One, you, how much, how seriously you take your brand, right? Because you put in a lot of work That's into it. You know what I'm saying. So when we talked about, um, you know, some of the things that we want to do with you, you know, I could tell you took it very seriously in terms of what you were going to attach your name to, what you're going to associate with. Yeah. And um, I think that's important for all of us to remember, number one, integrity. Uh, your reputation is everything, but also your, your time is so valuable. And if you value yourself, you're not going to throw your name on, on every you single can. one. Yeah. And the thing I love about Event Noir, honestly, is the community aspect of it. And that's something I'm big on. You know, I have two sons, been married almost 24 years. Like, I understand the value of family, which I didn't grow up having. I mean, I had matriarchs that love me. And thank you, know, thank you to my grandmother, who's not with us anymore, my mom, my aunts, but never really had that, those male figures. Yeah. And for me... I sold fantasy for 15 years in the club. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Always went home, been married the whole time. The okay. point is, okay. is that people see me and see how I move and think it's possible or know it's possible yeah. if you're really close to me because you know the ins and outs. But I think that at the end of the day, man, we got to be the examples we want to see. And I grew up, you know, with killers and drug dealers telling me that this was the way, yeah. this is how you should do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, to, and to be blessed to not be trapped by the system like a lot of us are. I mean, I can't go to Canada now without somebody paying for me to go. Uh -huh. But other than that, I'm unscathed. You know what I mean? And I think that that is the key. 
Love it. Love it, love it, love it. That's amazing. I know I said I had two more, but I just got my, my one last question, and this has been Come on, uh, man. amazing. That's the last one. So, I mean, you've worked with every professional organization I can, I can imagine. That's why I first ran into you. I might have been Black NBA or NABJ and those professional conferences. And I think I, it was NBA in Houston, right? Might have been NBA Houston. I mean, you've done so. I've, I've seen you even before that. I've been going to Black NBA since 2006, oh, and um, I decided to get an NBA because I never saw so many Black professionals until I came to that conference. Yeah. That was uh, close to 06 when I first went to Love. Um, so you work with so many celebrities as well, and I wanted you to talk about your experience working with celebrities and, and different talents, because how did you, you've worked with Diddy, you've worked with, with Wale, how did you make that transition to the entertainment industry? Because so many of us want to get into it. You see so many folks, QC, selling their catalog for hundreds of millions. Yeah. Uh, I think Metro Boomer, 70 million. How do you make your transition into there, right, and still, and understand the, the business and be able to benefit from that value. Like, you were able to navigate from being a party host to lifestyle ambassador to being in the music industry to working with the top brands in the world, right? So what do you, what's your advice for somebody that wants to be able to, to make, go through that Kenny Burns journey of entrepreneurship uh, and building their brand? Yeah, well, first and foremost, you gotta bring something to the table. You know, we can have all the access in the world, all the money in the world. But if you don't actually have something that you are known for, something that you bring to the table that somebody else doesn't, it doesn't mean as much. So if you want to play my game, you got to bring something to the table. You know what I mean? I'm not just talking about, I'm going to put you with this person. Like There has to be something about you that transcends that moment, that people see like you see. Like when you meet me and now we're doing business, you're like, oh shit, okay. I see why he said this. I see why he did this. Oh, learning more about his story. Okay, I see you now how to even implement that into my story. You know, the fact that you have a community, and I can use you as a, as a, as a, as a, as a prototype. Yeah. If I have a community, and I am responsible for connecting these dots for, you know, eventually millions of people, yeah. right? I have access to those millions of people. Yeah. So that's something for you to do. But I feel like people sometimes get into the game and it's one side. I want to be in the music game. Why do you want to be in the music game? Like right now, I would call all CEOs out. Mm -hmm. You know why I would call all CEOs out? Wow. Because everything is death, murder, destruction, and despair. 100%. Everything. Anything 100%. moving that's popular. Yeah. So where's the where the guardrails? Yeah. Who's going to implement? You know, Tank said it the other day on Drink Champs. I yeah. just said it on my podcast. If he was rapping about, if he did the Stay With Me song, love, yep. Stay With mm -hmm, Me, Sanford. if he did that, would it have yeah. been as big? Nope. Right? Nope. But that's a problem. Man. I that's was... a problem. So how are you going to come in the game and change that? I was reading that. Next then... music exec. Hey. How are you going to come in, artists, and make people, because we started with love. Mm -hmm. Black music. Yeah. Yep. I, I tell everybody, watch Hitsville. Um, it's narrated by Smokey Robinson and Barry Gordy. He would not allow, like when, 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 Stevie wanted to, wanted to do Intervisions. When uh, Marvin Gaye wanted to do What's Going On, he was like, yo. Yeah. Now, important nonetheless, but everything Motown did up to that point was celebratory about relationships, the girl I want, the guy I want, family. Feel good all, music. Period. Yeah. Why do we, I mean, listen, and everybody knows me. Yeah. And if you don't, Google me, but you got to know that I'm with the gangster shit. Not in the form of like carrying it on yeah. and carrying a torch. I've been through it. Yeah. I want to leave that shit where it lies. 100%. Yeah. There's no good that comes from all that. I'm trying yeah. to stop saying the word nigga. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am. Yeah. I, I truly am. Yeah. But that's wanting to be better. Knowing better is to do better. Yeah. And that's what we got to do as a culture, man. And the people that want to really, really gain some traction, because it's, for your generation and under, there's so much opportunity in the way you want the narrative to be. Yeah. 
See, yeah. not like mine. We had to play a certain game. Yeah. It was one black man, black black man, that was the conduit to the white man when I was coming up. Okay. And they didn't want you to have none of that shit. Okay. They didn't want you to have the motion and the freedom and the opportunity. No, because they. Who was that man? I gotta ask. It, it's no. It's all of them. Okay. Yeah. It's all gatekeepers. Of them. The only the only black man yeah. that I've done business with. I'm not talking about anybody else. Mm-hmm. You take it personal. That's how you feel about yourself. Yeah. But the only black man that ever gave me the motion to be Kenny Burns and move freely was Andre the Rail. God rest the dead. Mm. Nice. Anybody else wanted to be? They want. Of course, they want all the things that come with you, Kenny. Yeah. When when it was twenties and twenty, bring all that, please. You got all the girl. Bring all. Yeah. Oh, Kenny, you the. Oh, you you started the button up move, movement. You the second black designer ever in Saks Fifth Avenue before Virgil and all oh, that. Wow. Ryan, Kenny. Oh, you. They want all that. They want to give you nothing for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If I had a. I'm going to help the next Kenny Burns. Not have to try and figure it out. So I'm going to help the next. You know what I'm saying, Jeff? Try to figure you know because at the end of the day, that's what we should be doing as as OGs. Yeah. That's what we should be doing as people in position. And I try, and I'm the realest, probably light skinned nigga you ever met in your life. I'm blue black on this. Like I don't really play about culture. I don't oh, play, I play about family. Yeah. I don't play about black women. Yeah. I protect mine. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I and it. I really feel like I get so like passionate about it because it is a lost art to care about another person. Yeah. Is a lost art. That's sad. Yeah. As a community, that's sad. Every so. media message we get right now is murder, kill, oh. forget black women, uh, go to jail, don't snitch. It's like I was reading, I think I was just scrolling down the academics page and everything was about stop snitching Cancel and go to jail. Academics. Go to jail. And I'm just like, man, at the end of the day, if every media message we have, every, all the music we have is about kill, murder, steal, kill each other and forget your woman, I mean, how can we have a, how can we have a black family? How can we have black progress? How can we have black wealth? Come on, listen. So You're touching on a whole another two-hour episode. <laughs> but I want to say this, and I just said cancel yeah. um, uh, academics. Yeah. We have to have pause buttons in yeah. our community. Yeah. Canceling someone does not mean killing them. It yeah. does not mean getting rid of them in the form of, like, we are outcasting you to this, this dungeon. Yeah. But you're being put on pause so you can redirect your energy. Okay. If someone like academics has the voice to talk about the bullshit he talks about, yeah. then he has the voice to embrace things that he does is ignorant about, yeah. to put forth an effort to galvanize instead of ostracize. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just think that you know we got to do better. And I call everybody up. Yeah. I, I do it as a big brother. Like you be at Thanksgiving dinner, mm-hmm. and, and you got that uncle that everybody yeah. fuck with, and they gonna listen to uncle because he been through some shit. Mm-hmm. That's me. Like I'm not going to sugarcoat nothing for you, motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope you just keep the curse words because it's an inflection, but you can put the beats <laughs> if you need to. But I, I honestly yeah. wholeheartedly want people to not cancel, like in the sense of, I want you to die. No, sit down but and talk. Let's have a conversation. Put in their place. The, yeah. we, don't, we need guardrails in society. We need a conversation. We need, no, we need guardrails. Boundaries. You can't do this. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, yeah. you didn't hear all this cursing on the radio. Yeah. You didn't hear this death and destruction. If they had Papa Molly back in, they wouldn't let you do it. Yeah. And people were more sane. Is it us or the powers that be? Or is it, or is no, it but both? That, that, we are the powers that be. We make the music. Mm-hmm. True. We make the, we set the trend. We, I agree. But, like, but will we get signed? Like, to Tank's point, will we get signed if we're talking about love? But Tank is independent now. Tank learned his lesson from signing to all these people. And RB Money is his own thing. He mm-hmm. puts out what he wants to put out. Yeah. That man's a sex love machine. That's what yeah. he sings. In, 
That's him. But what I'm saying is we have to realize that we are the culture. We yeah. are the litmus test. We are the inspiration for everything they do. Yeah, yeah. And I'm talking about they as in the world, not just yeah. white people. Yeah. Everybody. So if such and such at whatever distribution company wants it, how many people you know that do 3,000-person venues that don't have a record on the radio? Yeah. So you mean to tell me you couldn't have made the same thing to inspire and uplift? Yeah. Or put, listen, I don't mind you telling the story. I come from niggas with attitudes. Mm -hmm. I come from the bullshit. Yeah. I'm part of the problem and why yeah. these people doing what they're doing. But you make it way more money. You have way more access. You know, you should know better. Thug, great example. You are a superhero in the hood. Yeah. You do crazy dope shit for people in the hood. Yeah. But you still glorifying what you glorifying. You think they're gonna catch up with you one day? And that's what we don't realize. We I don't know how we don't realize it. But how don't you know it's coming to get you? It's coming to get you. They use you to inspire others to do what you're doing, get rid of you, replace you with another. It's a sad system that is continuing and it's been going on for generations. Yeah. So once we had that platform and that success, how do we get folks, and you're of course in the industry, so you know a lot of these artists. Once a lot of the music business. Oh, a lot of the music business, but in, in the entertainment industry. And I mean, at least you have the ability to connect with all these folks. Yeah. So once an artist, gets there because he's going to have the engine behind him if he's preaching violence. What's your advice to that artist that has that platform now to be able to pivot and have a positive example and be a positive example for the community? I think right. that's what they struggle with, losing their street cred, losing their success. Okay, okay. Well, so, I, and first of all, little Dirk's on the sideline of Lakers game with a skateboard and a sweater. Okay, mm -hmm. I hear you. Yeah. And I, I love Dirk. I love yeah. that he comes out professor love for his woman. Mm -hmm. But, bro, like, if that's who you are, be that person now. If you, if you grew from a gangster to a gentleman, and all you showed the gangsters was how to now be a gentleman, what you think they gonna do? Yeah. How, how you think they gonna act? Yeah. And, and this, is our, this is the thing. I wanna challenge all of the street guys and the, and the real, you know what I'm saying, like yeah. street guys. Try to think for a minute, dirt, thug, anybody who's been in murder cases and all the things y'all doing. Yeah. Think for a minute, if you were to Think about the amount of money you made, how many people you put on, and how really powerful you are with your words. How would you go about using them? Because you don't want that. Don't get, don't get this method. They don't want to lose that money. They don't yeah. want to lose yeah. that access. They wouldn't be dressing different. They yeah. wouldn't be showing up in different rooms. Meek Mill, I love how he's trying to get next to whoever that he knows got more than him. Like Ruben, those guys, yeah. Yeah, I'm not even saying that that's... Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. But he's trying to elevate his surroundings. Yeah. So as you know better, you start to put other things in motion and together. Yeah. So that's what we need to do. Yeah. We need to continue to strive for knowledge of self first and foremost. Yeah. Also knowledge about the things we really want to do and how we going to help. Because they all helping people. Yeah. All these people around you is getting either paid or yeah. getting benefits from being around you. Yeah. So if you tell them this is what we're doing, this is what we're doing, yeah. then they going back and tell them, and it's a chain reaction. But we have to be, as, as guys that grew up in poverty with no access and then get something, yeah. you got to understand the value on how you got there yeah. and the value of what you have. If you understand that journey, if you appreciate a journey, which I know they do, they do all the things to try to not to go back. Yeah. All right, implement it all the way. Change the music, though. Change the, change the conversation. 
Change what you mean to somebody. You can yep. mean, listen, it, it, what they call Dirk the Hero. Yeah, you got the Neighborhood Heroes Foundation uh, nonprofit in Chicago as well. Okay. But yeah, you got it. And you've been helping people. Yeah. You've been putting people on. Yeah. Why not go all the way? Denounce it. Little baby said, I don't got no tattoos. Mm -hmm. I don't want no tattoos. I don't want nobody judging me. I don't even want to be looked at as no thug or no gangster. I did all this to make some money and get my family out of poverty. Yeah. So there are examples of it, and I'm not coming at the whole, you know, generation. It's a conversation needs to be had, and nobody no. wants to have, and yeah. I appreciate that. And I really hope, man, to be honest with you, somebody like even Kanye, mm -hmm. you wait till then to act like a nigga. Yeah. You wait till now yeah. to just go on and just and and, and and to be honest with you, man, it's sad because we don't have many seats at them tables. Yeah. Yeah. Your responsibility is to your people, not you or your thoughts. If you were smart enough to get there, you're smart enough to put the next man in position to do the same. If we at that table, $11 billion, whatever he was worth prior to him, you know, going on our Jewish brothers and sisters. Yeah. Bruh, but, th but this is, you know, again, man, you, you know, I, I think about it all the time. And I hope that there's no Illuminati. Mm -hmm. I hope that there's no, but there has to be something. Somebody's behind this, right? No, it has to be, bro. Donald Dump. <laughs> How? Yeah. I'm from D.C. Mm -hmm. The police get active when they see any crowd. They're there. Mm -hmm. To be pushed aside, you can't do nothing. Let this... It's bigger than you. And I wish these brothers the knowledge to know, you know, or the clarity to see for themselves because it's bigger than you. I love them. That's, you know... That's I love it. Realize the power of the culture that we have. See how we can redirect that energy, the content, and the funds. I say this, if you're in the industry, there's amazing black founders, amazing tech startups that are black founded, brown founded that you can invest in. And um, a lot of folks like Baron Davis, who I uh, saw during Grammys weekend, are investing in black and brown founders. So I think there's an opportunity there in the tech space. And I really think that's how we shift the culture uh, with our startups, with our liquor brands, mm -hmm. uh, with our, our brands that we're building. So I want to thank Kenny Burns, the lifestyle specialist, for joining us on this episode of Art of Party. Provide a lot of game. Uh, man, more than over-delivered. I appreciate you, brother. And I think you got an event coming up on Event Y, actually. You want to tell yeah, people about it? Yeah, yeah. Um, Uncle Nearest, the fastest-growing independently-owned American whiskey in U.S. history. Um, you know, we built this distillery, Nearest Green Distillery. Now, inside of Nearest Green Distillery on March 25th, we are doing the grand opening. Actually, the grand opening is the 23rd. But we're doing a weekend of events and the 25th. TKBS Nation has taken over, Humble Baron, a home of the largest bar in the world, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. And we're going to do what we do. We're going to talk a little shit. We're going to have a little party. I got to pull up. I'm pulling up, man. Yeah. I'm trying to pull up, so I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there, man. I love it. And then you can see my picture in the family room that's going to be there 2,000 years after I'm gone. <laughs> legacy. legacy. We build it. It's all about legacy. We're building legacies every day, guys. Thank y'all for tuning in for the Art of Party podcast. Visit eventwire.com for your upcoming events. Uh, we got a legend in the building, Kenny Burns, man. I just want to thank you for the support. Thank you for the guidance. Thank you for the game. And thank you for sharing your story with us. So make sure you visit eventwire.com, guys, and check us out. We'll talk to you soon. And get ready for our Everybody Eats tour coming to a city near you. The dream is real. Yes, sir. <laughs>